The Shiloh podcast has arrived. Hello and welcome. I'm Rosie Dawson. I'm a journalist and I've been involved with the work of the Shiloh project for a while. So I was delighted when they asked me to host their podcast. We'll be bringing you interviews and conversation every month and probably more often during lockdown. So make sure you subscribe and the details will be coming up later. Today, for our first podcast, I'm with Katie Edwards and I'm Senior Lecturer at the University of Sheffield. I'm also co-director of the Shiloh Project along with my wonderful colleagues Johanna Stiebert and Caroline Blythe and um, we really hope that this podcast is going to spread ideas and work of the project beyond academia and we really want to encourage discussions about rape culture and religion and the Bible because we think that's really important to help to resist um, ideas of sexual violence and rape culture. Now, this subject matter obviously isn't very cheerful and obviously we're not going to go into any um, gratuitous descriptions of sexual violence. Uh, But we will let you know at the beginning of each episode what we'll be covering so that you're aware in advance that there might be um, particularly distressing content. In this first episode, though, Katie and I are going to be talking in more general terms about what the project's about and how it got started. And when we first started planning it, which was, for some reason, in railway station cafes, COVID-19 <laughs> wasn't on the horizon. And we were going to do our recordings face to face and maybe we would have had a launch. But now here we are. We're still in lockdown. And uh, so, Katie, what's been the impact of lockdown on you and the work of the project? Oh, why don't we even begin? Um, It's had a significant impact on both me and the project. For me, I've been having to get used to, you know, not seeing my family, not hugging my family, which is a big deal because, you know, I see them all the time. Um, But for the project, it's been massive as well because me and Johanna were going to go to South Africa in March and we were going to a conference on perversion and the Bible where Johanna was speaking about incest. Then we were going to go from there to Botswana to do some of the Shiloh Project work there with Mapula Cabe and Elway. And then we were also going to have uh, visitors from South Africa over and do quite a lot of events and seminars and stuff. But all that got cancelled, obviously, went into lockdown. And so we've been working on the website, also the book series and this podcast. We've said that the Shiloh Project is about rape, culture, religion and the Bible. So just explain to people how it got its name. Why Shiloh? Well, it's called the Shiloh Project because we wanted to name it after this particular story at the end of Judges, which is in the Hebrew Bible, when the tribe of Benjamin sees young women of Shiloh who've come out to dance in the vineyards and then they carry them off. And it's very rarely interpreted as a, you know, a kind of text of terror. It's very rarely interpreted as, as sexual violence, but that's what it is. But we don't know anything else about these women and they're invisible. So we wanted to make them visible through the name of the project. And that story is part of a wider story about you know, wars between tribes of Israel and so on. And it sort of points to the sort of fact that women are so often raped as part of the sort of almost collateral damage of war, one might say. Yeah, I mean, yeah, sexual violence is, is weaponised in warfare and it's um, a military tactic and it's also a tactic for, for genocide as well. Um, and, you know, in this text, it's really interesting because it's it's the men who are considered to be the victims. It's not the women. So, you know, any Israelite male from Shiloh who doesn't like what's happening is told to be generous. And the women's experience is, is just completely ignored. 
there are lots of resonances with experiences that women face in war today. And, you know, I suppose the Chibuk girls from Nigeria are the obvious example of that. Yeah, exactly. And and that's also an example of how we become less interested in the experiences of women, because although there was quite a lot of uh, media attention at the time when those girls were taken, 276 girls were kidnapped. And that sparked, you know, this huge social media campaign and everything. We know that some managed to escape shortly after they were seized, but about 100 have been freed in exchange for um, militants, Boko Haram militants. But then we don't know what's happened to the rest of them. And, they've, they've, you know, they've kind of disappeared and their experiences disappeared with it. So can you explain a little bit about what you mean by this term rape culture and then why it's important that it's studied in relation to the Bible and religion more generally? Yeah, so rape culture is the term that describes the social context and cultural context in which sexual violence is normalised, where it's expected or even legitimised and justified. I mean, rape culture manifests itself in different ways in different societies, but that's the kind of shared thing about a rape culture is that sexual violence is kind of seen as natural and normative. It's one of the things that, that just happen, you know, between men and women. And it's particularly important to look at the Bible because that's often used as a device to justify sexual violence in the present day and and to appeal to the authority of the Bible. Give me an example. Well, one of the most infamous recent cases is that of American TV personality Bill Cosby. Now, he was accused of multiple accounts of sexual assault and then he was convicted. And after he was sentenced, his publicist likened him to Jesus saying that he was the victim of wrongful persecution. So Christ is appealed to as the ultimate example of a miscarriage of justice and of male suffering. And then Bill Cosby's compared to him. In our work at the Shiloh Project, then we're really interested in instances like this, which show how the Bible's used to excuse and even glorify the perpetrators of sexual violence and to diminish and blame the victims and survivors of it. Before we go on to talk more about the Shiloh Project, just tell me a bit about how your work in biblical studies came about and then the, the steps that you took before that, on that journey into looking at rape culture. Yeah, well, I, I just I fell into biblical studies. Um, I did it by accident. I was originally doing um, English literature in my first year at university and I attended a module on biblical studies and it, it blew my mind. It was Stephen Moore. He was talking about the Bible in contemporary world and it just wasn't what I was expecting. So I, I transferred to a biblical studies degree, stayed on to do a PhD and then I got a job at Sheffield and here I am. But um, my PhD was looking at how the Bible is co-opted in popular culture. And so it was looking at Eve in advertising. Eve. And Eve, yeah. And um, looking at Eve and how images of Eve in popular culture are definitional for women. And then you went in to look at biblical literacy. And I suppose the idea that biblical literacy isn't just a question of knowing the Bible stories, but also about... Um, well, understanding, for instance, those images of Eve and how they're being used. Yeah, I think I think I was interested in, you know, who who says what biblical literacy is. So it's you know it's this idea of like power and and the dynamics of of the field. So it's a really vague term and it's used a lot as if we're all talking about the same thing and we all know what we're talking about. So discussions of biblical literacy to me, I think they're actually less about you know, how often people read or understand the Bible and the more about the maintenance of power structures. 
um, because they're about, you know, who gets to say what's legitimate knowledge and who gets to say um, whose knowledge or understanding is dismissed and undermined. So it's about it's about who gets to say how the Bible should be read and by whom and what interpretations are allowed credibility and which ones are diminished. Let's go on to the Shiloh project itself then. How did that begin? Uh, it started, we've been thinking about it for years. Uh, Caroline Blythe came over to Sheffield ages ago, probably about 2014. She came over from um, New Zealand. She's based at the University of Auckland. Um, and we talked about setting up a centre for the study of sexual violence and religion. And uh, we talked about it for ages. We didn't do anything about it. And then she came over to Leeds again from New Zealand in 2017. And Johanna Stieber, the human whirlwind, um, we talked about it with Johanna and then it was happening. And it was just before Me Too happened. Perfect timing. Exactly. Well, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, um, we weren't expecting it to, to really, you know, reflect the moment quite as much as, as, it, as it turned out to do. Um, but it started us on a, on a path that then we just had so much data and, and there was so much work to do that it's just got bigger and bigger. Has that actually changed, do you think, the, the direction that the project has taken? Um, I think it's changed um, because so many more examples of sexual violence and systemic sexual violence and sustained abuse scandals were coming up. The more the Bible was being used to justify or challenge those episodes. So we found that actually there was just so much more data and there was so much work to do that it's just got bigger and bigger. One of the things that I've been struck by, um, and maybe that's because of the people that came to your work through Me Too, was about the the broad reach of, of the project, the, the activists, the academics, the people with faith commitments, the people without faith commitments, um, you know, who've, who've come and accessed your work. How have you achieved that? I think because we were very clear right right from the beginning that we wanted all perspectives. Uh, we didn't want just, you know, the same kind of faces cropping up again and again. We wanted to be challenged ourselves and have our perspectives challenged because that's the only way that you, you learn, isn't it? So um, we, we wanted people's perspectives even when we, when we disagreed with them. Um, and we've still got a way to go on that, especially on, on trans issues and male and male sexual violence. And also... Um, around whiteness because you know the the three of us who are leading it are all uh, relatively privileged white women so we know that we've also got a long way to go in terms of you know looking at how privileged white people speak for others and you know that's especially sensitive after me too because one of the limitations of the me too movement was that, you know, well, for a start, it was started by Tarana Burke, who's a woman of colour. And then in true white woman fashion, it was appropriated by Alyssa Milano. And, you know, that's the thing about Me Too, is it's told us loads about white feminism. So that's something that we really want to try and acknowledge it and recognise it. And we also want to try and avoid it. And I'm not sure how successful we're being right now. Well, one of the things that you are doing is... Um working with women in Botswana and other parts of Africa. So just tell me about the work that you're doing there. Yeah, um, we've worked in Ghana. We're working with church leaders to look at how, how they're being trained and, and what kind of discussions, what kind of discourse there is around their, their communities in, about sexual violence. Um, so we've got a connection with, uh, with a centre there called the Talitha Kumi Centre, uh, which is led by uh, Mercy Odieyo. 
And they train audience, they train people who are, who are trained for ministry to think critically about the use of the biblical text and also like how are they dealing with gender-based violence um, because there's there's quite a bit of it that they you know gets brought to them as church leaders um, so I'm just interested Talitha Kum those are the words that um, Jesus uses when he raises Jairus's daughter from the dead aren't they that's it yeah little girl rise up that's exactly it um, but it's not it's not specifically it's 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 about women but they're, they're tra- I mean the ordinance as you can imagine are mainly men but these people were just so sharp they were amazing and you know they had no problems at all thinking critically about the text which was really different to when we actually taught in a different place and there was no there was no analysis at all about the the biblical text and so whatever they're doing in that center is really effective so that's why we went to them it was as much it was as much so that we could be trained and then use those um use those techniques as it as it was really about about making kind of any change in Ghana, they're doing a great job on their own. I remember Johanna um, put something on the blog. It was a photograph from Ghana, um, yeah. and it was a, a, a shop called Jeremiah Thirty Three Enterprises, and <laughs> and it was for building materials, um, and it just shows the sort of saturation of biblical imagery and verses in some cultures. Rose, it, it is everywhere like you, you can't you can't look I mean Johanna was taking like hundreds of pictures a day because it's just everywhere you look there's loads of posters and advertising and shops I mean it's amazing the bible really is everywhere you look there um so so you can really see how foundational the biblical text is in dealing with anything any issues at all um and so that obviously makes makes the work that the Talitha Kumi Centre is doing so in, in cre- it's, it's essential work and they're doing it really well. Botswana also is really that you know the biblical text is, is also foundational there but you don't you don't see it in the same way it's not in your eyelight you know in your eyesight all the time. What's it that you're doing there? We work with Mipula Kebanelwe at the University of Botswana and also with Legabibo which is the LGBT organization in Botswana. Again we're looking at how the biblical text is, is used to justify and to challenge ideas around sexual violence. So the very first time we visited, for example, there was a, a young woman who spoke about her experience. And her experience was that she'd been subjected to what what's termed corrective rape. And that's when uh, either a male member of your family or a, friend, a, a you know, family friend rapes you to try and like correct your sexuality. For, for for lesbian women like her, she found that actually, you know, if she goes to a, a women's centre or a women's refuge, then she's turned away because they said, you know, the Bible says that, that you're wicked. So Leo Bebo do these, you know, like alternative interpretations to, to try and challenge and um, create a counter-narrative to dominant homophobic readings of the text. Last year, when, when same-sex relationships were, were made legal in Botswana, the resistance and, and the backlash was really strong. And that was also from church groups. And that was also using readings of the Bible. So, you know, it's it's really interesting to see how the Bible's weaponized and how it has these, you know, like real life consequences. Our readings have real life consequences for the here and now and for people's safety in the here and now. So you're three and a half years in to this project. Um, is it as you thought it would be? 
no it's not it's it's much it's much better than I thought it would be and it's it's much bigger as well than I thought it would be and I hadn't I really hadn't anticipated how much I personally was going to get from the project and from working in in a collaboration you know collaborating with other women that that was a big deal for me um and I hadn't expected it to be when I'm when I've got no energy, um, an academia can be you know a really it can be exhausting environment. It's very privileged. I'm I'm aware of that. But um, in those days when I haven't got energy and you know I just think what is the point? That's when they give me this determination of of the women in the Shiloh project. They just they just lend me the energy and the, they, the project keeps me going actually. Um, so so it's been it's been amazing. Especially in lockdown? Yeah, especially in lockdown, yeah. <laughs> We're still there at the moment um, and the blog post and the website will continue. Um, yeah. Just tell me some of the things that um, are coming up briefly in terms of your publications. Um, oh, well, we've got loads. Um, I think the next book out is uh, Chris Greenoff's book, which is uh, about um, male-on-male sexual violence in the Bible. Uh, there's also Nancy Tan's book about um, sex workers in Hong Kong and her um, she, when she's reading the Bible with, with sex workers. Um, and there's also a book from me and Caroline coming out about teen Bibles and purity culture. And then I've got another one about um, Jesus and sexual violence. And David Toombs has got one on Jesus and sexual violence, but it's written in a very different way to mine um, that's coming out after. So we've got loads and loads coming up. And I imagine there's probably one coming up on domestic violence and the pandemic. I'd imagine that there are a lot of people reflecting on that at the moment. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've actually been sent during the lockdown. We've had a flurry of, of um, proposals. So we've got plenty coming out. But the first, the, one of the series you were talking about, the series of books you were talking about there is um, uh, Routledge Focus. Um, yeah. a, a series of small books that are coming out over the next five years called Help Me. It's called um, Rape, Culture, Religion and the Bible. And the first one, which is out now, um, is from Johanna Stiebert and it's called Rape, Myths, the Bible and Me Too. And I'm going to be talking to her about that in the next podcast. I hope you'll join me then. Please subscribe to the Shiloh Podcast at the Shiloh Podcast, all one word, dot captivate dot fm or from wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, and um, please tell your friends about it. Send us your feedback, leave a review. Our website is shiloh-project.group.chef, that's just one F, .ac.uk. Or if you didn't get all that, because it hardly tripped off the tongue, then you can just Google the Shiloh Project and we should just come up like magic. That's all from us for now. Bye. Bye.